Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Christopher Conover. The fall election is less than three months away. This week, we look at efforts to get more voters to the polls. Campaign observers and political operatives will tell you that come election day, it's all about getting out the vote. There are those who say those efforts could turn Arizona purple or even blue this year. But what do the registration numbers say? An AZPM analysis of Arizona voter registration data for general elections between 1988 and 2018 reveals that, unsurprisingly, Maricopa County has kept the state in Republican hands due to Republican leanings among the most populous county in the state. In recent years, rural Arizona has also turned red, but it wasn't always that way. The data also show a surge in no-party or independent voters in the early 2000s. University of Arizona political scientist Barbara Norander says that makes sense. It happened because in 1998, Arizona Proposition 103 switched the format of Arizona's primaries from a closed primary, where people had to be registered as either a Democrat or Republican to vote in those primaries, to what we call semi-closed primary, where independents get to choose which primary they want to vote in. So that encourages people to start registering as an independent. Even though independents have grown through the 2000s, they've never overtaken Republicans as the dominant party, except for one year, 2014. That was the year Doug Ducey was first elected. But Norander says independent voters tend to not be that independent or politically undecided. Well, most people who are registered as an independent do have a party preference that they tend to, to vote with. So uh, the independent gives them a little bit more choice in the primaries, but they often have a, a fairly consistent pattern of voting for one party over the other. When people discuss the possibility of Arizona becoming a blue or purple state, they often point to the last election in 2018. When voters re-elected Republican Governor Doug Ducey, but also sent Democrat Kirsten Sinema to the U.S. Senate. Norander says it will take more than one set of results to definitively say Arizona is no longer a guaranteed red state. Well, if you get more um, election outcomes where you have a split, where you have Democrats winning some offices and Republicans winning other offices, particularly if they're statewide offices, that might indicate that the state is more of a of purple state. She says the makeup of the state legislature can be another area to watch. If it moves to Democratic control, that will be another indication of a political shift in the state. To see a map of Arizona voter registration changes over time, visit our website. Part of that discussion of a purple or blue shift in Arizona often includes the potential untapped voting power of Arizona's Latino population. Many different local and national groups have worked for years to increase voter registration and turnout among the Latino community. We talked with Cesar Fierros Mendoza of Lucha, Living United for Change in Arizona, a social justice group. He says his group is heavily focused on voter outreach in Arizona, especially in this year's election. We had a massive uh, uh, voter outreach program that we launched in January, uh, but unfortunately because of the COVID crisis, we had to make some changes and adjustments to that. 
but you know we rolled with the punches and we were able to uh, you know get a lot done even though we weren't able to do a lot of the traditional outreach that we normally do which is like canvassing um, doing uh, voter registration tables at events things like that um, and now as we are heading into the in general election we are uh, focused on doing a lot more of that voter outreach in terms of uh, getting people motivated and ready to vote in November. How do you do some of the things like voter registration, which has to be done in person? Somebody has to sign something. Uh, how do you do that during this pandemic? As you mentioned, some of the other voter outreach you can do over the phone, um, you can knock on doors and step back uh, at, at times, and you can use mail and things like that. But how do you do voter registration? We've had to be a little creative about this. Uh, one of the ways we've, we're doing this is contactless drive-through voter registration events. So we have hosted several events, and we will continue to do this, several, several events across southern Arizona where people drive up in their cars and with... Uh, uh, at a distance, we register people to vote. We hand them a clipboard that's been sanitized, uh, that's been disinfected, and a pen that's disposable, and they register to vote that way. Uh, the other ways we've done it is through um, phone banking. Through phone banking, we actually walk people through uh, registering to vote online. Latinos are historically underrepresented. Have you seen a shift in political participation among Latinos in Arizona? Yeah, definitely. We have seen a, I mean, we've been doing a lot of great work, you know, over the last, you know, decade. But uh, recently, uh, going back to 2018, we saw a massive uh, increase in voter participation and civic engagement among the Latino community across the state. Um, back in 2018, uh, we had, we're a part of a coalition called Me Arizona that uh, was able to register hundreds of thousands of people to vote and get hundreds of thousands of people to the polls as well in 2018. And we saw record turnout this year in the primary as well. I think people are super engaged uh, in the Latino community because there are a lot of important issues that are, that are affecting them, that are affecting our communities. And, you know, one of those is Donald Trump's presidency. He's uh, with this pandemic, for example, uh, it's just, it's uh exasperated uh, a lot of the issues, a lot of the inequalities that existed before the pandemic. And, um, you know, the Latino community is severely, uh, you know, hit by the COVID crisis. Uh, you know, I, across this country, you have like 29% of Latino families who have at least one person that's lost a job in their household. We have, you know, Latino business owners, 33% of them have across this country have lost um, have lost their business or have seen a significant drop in revenue. You have 41% uh, of Latinos across this country who have uh, are not able to or are struggling to make their mortgage or their housing payments. And then in terms of uh, COVID cases, like impacting people's health, Latinos represent in Arizona represent 31% of the Arizona population but represent over 46% of cases and are represent over 34% of deaths. And that's all because of the complete mismanagement of, of this crisis by this administration. And it's really uh, hurt the Latino community. Do you find that the young college aged or just out of college age, you know, those early 20s, are, are they more active than older Latinos or is it across the board? 
And in terms of Lucha, you know, this, our effort, you know, our, our massive mobilization effort that we, that we're launching across the state is led by youth, is led by, our team is made up of young organizers and canvassers, people who are just getting started. A lot of youth who are, are really uh, um, interested in getting involved and are looking for the opportunity and we're giving them that opportunity to get involved and to talk to their families and their neighbors uh, and their friends. And that's, and then, and so Lucha's movement is driven by youth and we're seeing a massive uh, rate of activism from from young Latino voters. But, you know, at the same time, um, we don't just want to see young Latino voters participating. We want everyone in the household to participate. So we we are seeing a, a, a an increase in participation and civic engagement from from older Latino citizens or, or residents of Arizona. And and they definitely are 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 getting involved. And I would assume if a younger voter comes to Abuela and says, hey, you got to register to vote, you got to vote, um, Abuela never turns down a grandchild. No, no. And a, very true. And a lot of the time um, it's the nana uh, or the tata or the, or the, you know, the abuela or the, or the tata going out there and getting their kids, getting their grandchildren to, to register to vote. We've seen a lot of that happen in Arizona when, we're, when we were doing traditional canvassing. Um, we'd be welcomed into the, into the households and, uh, we would see, uh, we, we'd be talking to the abuela and the abuela would invite, uh, their grandchildren into, into the conversation and, and to talk about, uh, registering to vote and talking about important issues. When it comes to registration, that's part of the process, but how do you turn registration into people actually casting ballots? You know the people that we reach out to. These aren't these aren't just numbers and data points on a on a screen. These are real people, and these are people that have are being affected by real issues. And we are are intentional about doing a lot of relational organizing, about having a genuine conversation with voters about about the stakes of this election and and about and about the issues affecting their 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 local community. And that's. One way we're able to drive turnout is by having that in, that that conversation about what's impacting their lives and how them getting involved and in, and them showing up to the polls can can make a difference in their lives. We're talking with Cesar Fierros Mendoza with Lucha. Does the ease of mail-in ballots in Arizona help with getting people to cast ballots, especially this year? Yes, absolutely. And especially this year, because, you know, because of this, this pandemic, it is, uh, you know, it's, it's very dangerous for folks to be waiting in line in crowded lines, uh, you know, waiting to cast their ballots. So, you know, the, one of the safest ways you can actually vote in this election is through mail-in voting. And it's one of the most reliable ways to vote uh, in this election and in, in past elections as well. And, it definitely helps also drive turnout amongst the Latino community because a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, members of the Latino community are, are, are working nine to five jobs. They don't have time to, to go to the polls, you know, before work or, or, or during work because they're, they're work, you know, they're at work. This gives them the opportunity to, to have, you know, a little bit of time to process, you know, who's on the ballot, what the issues are on the ballot and and have uh you know and think about who they're going to vote for and in a timely manner you know send that ballot off to to the to the recorder's office 
there's often an assumption that Latinos vote Democratic, but we know it's not a monolithic block. Is there anything that unites Latinos uh, when it comes to particular issues that regardless of whether the voter is a Democrat or a Republican, this is a Latino issue? You can go down the list, honestly, and almost every issue that's that affects our country is a Latino issue because you can talk we can talk about education and the college affordability that's a Latino issue because we have a lot of first generation uh, Latino students headed 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 to college that that their parents are really worried about how they're going to be able to pay the tuition we are healthcare is a big issue for the Latino community as well because we especially right now we want to make sure that you know our our families are taken care of healthcare wise they want to be able to have healthcare uh, and 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 in an affordable fashion. Um, when it comes to the economy, we you know, the economy is an important issue for the Latino community because it's it's uh, it it affects the bottom line and it affects how people can uh, uh, can pay for bills and keep a roof over their heads. It's uh, you know, like you said, the Latino community is not a monolith. In 2016, 28% of Latinos voted for Trump, and 66% voted for for Hillary Clinton. And back in 2012. You had um, 77 percent of Latinos voting for for uh, for Barack Obama. Well, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That was Cesar Fierros Mendoza with Lucha. This week, we're discussing voter participation among demographically underrepresented groups. Native Americans in Arizona didn't receive the right to vote until 1948, and like other marginalized groups, indigenous voters have experienced suppression and disenfranchisement in the subsequent decades. Emma Gibson reports that leaders of the Pasquayaki tribe question whether the loss of an early voting site two years ago serves as another example of this. About a month before the 2018 August primary election, the Pasquayaki tribe received a call from the Pima County Recorder's Office. They were told voters couldn't use the local early in-person voting site for the upcoming election. The county was closing the site that had been open since 2010. For Pasquayaki tribal members living in New Pasqua, the tribe's reservation southwest of Tucson, this was big news. What is the message that that sends to us? Doesn't our vote matter? We're a sovereign nation. That's Tribal Council member Erminia Frias. She and other leaders were so frustrated by the change that they're still fighting for it to return. Pima County recorder F.N. Rodriguez says some of her top reasons for closing the site were low voter turnout and a lack of security. She says the early voting location had been located at a radio station with ballots stored in file cabinets. Rodriguez says it lacked a secure location for ballots that the recorder's office could control. Because of our uh, security measures, technology, I was not able to make it a security site that is acceptable to me and the structure of our database. Rodriguez also says she wanted it to be a, quote, full-service site, where anyone from the area could cast their ballot, not just people from select precincts. Frias says the tribal council didn't get a chance to offer solutions to prevent the voting site's closure. That conversation never happened. The decision was made and the decision was shared with the council and it was done. Rodriguez's solution was to tell people to vote early at the Mission Library from now on. 
It's between the Pasquayaki in New Pasqua and the Thana Otham in the San Javier district, who live a little to the south. Frias, the Yaqui council member, says moving the site meant those without cars now have to travel two hours by bus instead of walking to vote early. Frias points out that the former early voting site offered more voter engagement opportunities to tribal members. She says the recent push for everyone to vote by mail doesn't work for all tribal members, since there is a long-standing distrust of the U.S. government. Alex Gulata is with All Voting is Local, an advocacy group that tries to break down discriminatory barriers around voting. He says during the pandemic, this is not just about convenience. It's about public health. I think it was a wrong decision even before COVID, uh, but like I say, it's now an unconscionable decision. We, we want people to vote early. We don't want everyone to vote on Election Day. Pima County recorder F.N. Rodriguez is retiring this fall, but Gulata says they're not waiting for the next recorder to take office to push for reinstating the early voting site. He says they'll soon be asking county officials to restore it. The Democratic candidate for Pima County recorder, Gabriela Casares-Kelly, committed to reinstating the site at a candidate discussion earlier this year that all voting is local organized with another partner. She referenced the injustices Indigenous people have faced while voting. What we're talking about is historic systemic oppression um, that is not going to be fixed in one or two voting cycles. The fall general election will take place Tuesday, November 3rd. For The Buzz, I'm Emma Gibson. An estimated 42,000 people are imprisoned in Arizona. Several groups are working to increase voter access in prisons and jails and restore voting rights to those who have lost them through felony convictions. Advocates say most people don't know they're eligible to vote again after serving their sentence, and the process to regain those rights is burdensome and underutilized. Joe Watson is coordinator for the Unlock the Vote program with the Arizona Advocacy Network, which aims to ensure the rights of eligible voters detained in the state's county jails. Folks who are incarcerated in Arizona's county jails maintain their right to vote uh, pre-trial, uh, so long as they are eligible to register to vote or eligible to vote. Now, if you have been con convicted of a felony in Arizona, uh, your civil liberties are suspended. Uh, so uh, you lose your rights to vote. Uh, you lose the right to hold public office, the right to serve as a juror, uh, and the right to possess a gun. And a felony conviction can also uh, prevent a person from doing lots of other things as well. So if you're convicted of a felony, you serve your sentence, whatever that is, upon completion of your sentence, does that mean you can vote? No, not necessarily. The restoration of civil rights, uh, if you have one conviction, your rights are restored automatically uh, once you have completed your sentence. Uh, that includes probation, uh, parole, or in Arizona, it's called community supervision because in our state, uh, technically there is no parole. Uh, and any court-mandated restitution. Uh, uh, despite, you know, some recent state legislation, for instance, uh, HB 2080 and 2019, that removed the mandate to pay court fines and fees, individuals still must pay restitution uh, before their civil rights have been restored. Now, if you have multiple convictions and were sentenced to probation, say, 
uh, without prison time, then you can apply for your, your rights to be restored immediately upon uh, being discharged from probation. However, if you were sentenced to any time in prison, uh, you have to wait two years after receiving your uh, what's called absolute discharge uh, before being able to apply to have your voting rights restored. Uh, and a lot of people don't even know that, that they can't apply uh, and they, they don't know how to apply. Uh, applications uh, to uh, apply for restoration of your rights uh, differs by county and court. Is, is it just a form or do you have to appear before a board? Yeah, I, I wish I could tell you it were just paperwork. <laughs> uh, sadly, it, it is a, a more cumbersome process. You know, often folks will, will go and, and fill out the form and, and often somebody who works in a county clerk's office and a court clerk's office uh, will uh, not know the, the correct information themselves. And they'll tell someone uh, who has the right to uh, apply for uh, their rights to be restored that they can't. And so obviously that's very discouraging for someone, but ultimately it's, it's up to a judge uh, in, in that county. So um, if you want to apply for all of your civil rights to be restored, including your gun rights, uh, you're likely going to have to make an appearance before a judge uh, and explain to a judge uh, why you are worthy of having your, your rights restored. It's not automatic, even though you can apply for it uh, after two years with, with multiple convictions. How many people uh, are out there convicted felons who've served their sentences but still can't vote, if we know? Based on um, data from our friends at the Campaign Legal Center, uh, the most recent estimates uh, say that Arizona's laws disenfranchise uh, more than 221,000 people uh, in our state. That is 4.25% uh, of the entire statewide voting age population, but it's also 11, almost 12% of the adult black male voting age population. Uh, so obviously this is, this is something as uh, most of your listeners will, will know, uh, disproportionately impacts uh, communities of color, uh, especially black communities. A couple of years ago, voters in Florida amended their state constitution to allow convicted felons who finish their sentences to vote again. But that's gotten tied up in the court as the legislature has put uh, various uh, other restrictions or tried to put other restrictions on it. Are there a lot of states looking at different ways to allow convicted felons who have served their sentence to get their uh, right to vote back? Yeah, uh, it certainly is a movement that is going on uh, across the country. Uh, there are millions and millions of people disenfranchised by conviction history. Uh, and so I, I think that, that folks, not just in Florida, uh, certainly not just in Arizona, but all over the country are, are realizing that once people have been rehabilitated, have served their time, um, that there's no reason why uh, they shouldn't be allowed to participate in our democracy. In fact, there are even states that allow folks to vote uh, while incarcerated serving time for a felony conviction. Is the main target for Unlock the Vote for this election cycle to make sure that people who are incarcerated, as you said, in county jails but haven't yet been sentenced to get them to vote? Um, or do you have some additional uh, plans for this election cycle? 
as the coordinator for the Unlock the Vote uh, project at Arizona Advocacy Network, my, my focus uh, for the next few months is going to uh, be to ensure that people who are detained in our county jails uh, have the uh, the ability to register to vote if they need to, uh, and that they are able to vote. Uh, we are also uh, making sure that, that we're working uh, with different agencies around the state on rights restoration clinics. So it's, it's both, you know, um, every election is important. This one seems to have a little more uh, of a spotlight on it than, than past elections, but every election is important. And this is something that, that uh, we'll do for every election, ensuring the rights of, of eligible, eligible voters inside county jails and, and making sure that, that people who can uh, apply to have their rights restored are able to do so as well. What have we missed when it comes to uh, voting rights restoration? You know, it's a, it's a deeper conversation within our communities about how we bring folks back uh, into our community, how we reintegrate them back into the community. It's a lot more than just saying, here's a job. Uh, it's really about engaging folks and making them feel part of the community. I can tell you as somebody who was in the system, when uh, I first went to jail, um, I, I did so in part because I felt um, uh, that I wasn't part of my community. I, I was not engaged. Uh, I didn't really care much about what was going on in the community, in politics, you know, for other families, uh, working class folks. I was just, I was just uh, sort of uh, not engaged. And when I was told that I could still vote while I was, while I was in jail, it made me suddenly feel part of the community again, even from inside. Uh, and it's the same thing for, for folks when they get out of prison. Just having a job uh, doesn't do everything that, that folks think it does. Uh, you know, there, there are ways that we need to be more in touch uh, in, in community uh, with folks who are returning home from state prisons. Uh, and one of the, the best ways to do that is to make sure that people have the right uh, to uh, engage with our democracy, uh, to engage with their communities. All right, Joe, thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you so much, Christopher. That was Joe Watson with the Arizona Advocacy Network. And that's the buzz for this week. You can find all our episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. We're also on the NPR One app. Ariana Brocious is the show's producer and editor. Vanessa Ontiveros is our production assistant. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer. Duncan Moon is the interim news director. Our music is by Enter the Haggis. I'm Christopher Conover. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.